The reading is from the epistle of the first epistle of John, chapter five, verses one to five and verses eleven to thirteen. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you give to us. And you know, we know that you want us to give of everything, energy, time, love, financially, in every single respect. And And Lord, we pray that the monies that are given here and those that are through the bank are in other means. Lord, would you help us to use them so that your name would be glorified, so that more people would know that you, Jesus, are the Son of God. You are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through you. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Peter, can I have the clicker? Peter? Oh, okay. Right, I'll wink at you, Rod, shall I? Let's see if we can. (laughs) Okay. So, the older that I get, the more I feel, actually, that I've learnt. I've got a long way to go, but... You know, when, when you get older, you, you do get a bit wiser and you look back at all the mistakes you've made and the things that uh, you've done and you look at others who are about to make the same mistakes and you want to say, don't, don't do it. Please don't make the same mistake I did. You know, you have to go round, all the way round in a, in, in a circuitous route and it's just easier if you... Uh, follow God and follow his ways, that you love him with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And one morning um, in our church, uh, Simon, someone called Simon, I felt to give out, I don't know if I told you this last time, but he felt to give out, he went and bought a load of batons and um, he gave each one of us one of these batons. Um, just... He felt really prompted by God to do that, to remind us of the legacy that we are to leave uh, 
wherever we've walked further on in the faith, we have something to pass on. And eventually, obviously, we're not going to be here any, uh, you know, forever. And we, we need to be passing things on to, to others. And I've got my legacy. I see Rachel from our church. She's over there. Uh, and you still, have you got yours at home? Did you have one? Did you ever get one? No, you didn't. No. Now, Rachel's being baptized next week, by the way, which is uh, in South Walker to Country Park Lake. So that's very brave. <laughs> Be very brave. That's what we're going to do. Something. The Apostle John, son of Zebedee, was now an older man. An old man, probably. Um, he had been a fisherman, the disciple that Jesus loved. And maybe at the time he wrote this, the only surviving apostle. And not yet banished to Patmos, where he was to live in exile. He wrote these letters, and the letter of 1 John was written to no particular church. It was sent from Ephesus in about AD 85, somewhere around there, as a pastoral letter to several non-Jewish congregations, and it was also written to believers everywhere, and that means us. It was written to us too. So the words that he said and included here in this canon of scripture are for us to take hold of. And John was an eyewitness to Jesus, and so he wrote with authority. He wanted to give a new generation of believers confidence in God and in their faith. He wanted, as it were, to pass on the baton. He wanted to tell people, make sure people knew the truths that he had found about God. That really speaks to me because I feel that often today we lack confidence in what we say we believe. We kind of say we believe the Bible and we do, but somehow we lack the confidence to pass it on. And, and this is a reminder that we, we are to be passing on that baton and uh, we need to be sure of what we believe. And uh, Carol read for us in uh, one Uh, John chapter 5, and this is the testimony, this is 11 to 13, have you got that? God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And this is so clear, isn't it? Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you, he says, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life, that you have confidence in what you know you have. And then at the end of that bit, uh, at the end of the chapter, he gave this sober warning. And this is just what I want to focus on uh, for a little while um, this evening. He said in verse 21, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now when we hear the word idolatry, we tend to think of pagan religions and man-made images, very prevalent in Japan, as you know. Um, I lived in Japan for 13 and a half years, and everywhere you turn, uh, in in the shops, in the streets, um, there are gods that are provided for every situation that you might come across. A god will be put on a shrine to help you win in the golf course. Um, 
God's for passing examinations. God's to give you, offer you forgiveness. God's for this. God's for that. And they're staring, pathetic, concrete or metal figures. And I lived near Nara, uh, the ancient capital of, of Japan, the home of the biggest Buddha in the world. Huge, great thing. Um, and there's a dark, dank smell of incense when you go around there. There's jangling of bells and hundreds of pilgrims passing by, raising their eyes heavenward to this big, empty, steel Buddha that someone else has made, and they worship him. And I find that so sad, so impersonal, and so hopeless. Living opposite me, um, when I was there, there were some sun worshippers, and every morning early, they used to get up and face the sun as it rose and worship the sun. And I used to feel so sad for them, worshipping the created rather than the creator. I felt so sad. It was such a sad thing to do. And we might think, actually, that's a bit ridiculous. But there is within human beings, um, in all of us, uh, an awareness, a basic awareness, which causes us to find an identity in something beyond ourselves. That is within us, that we... Whoever we are in some way or another, we have an inherent capacity to worship something other than ourselves. And C.K. Chesterton said, if a man ceases to worship God, he doesn't worship nothing, he worships anything. And it's always been the same. Primitive people... Uh, depended so much on the elements to sustain life that they began to worship them. The sun, the moon, the stars, the rain, water, stones. They made idols which personified those things and they showed their devotion and their allegiance to them by bowing down before them in rituals and in ceremonies. And the Romans and the Greeks worshipped the planet gods, Jupiter, Mars, Saturn. And they were rife in the ancient Near East. And the Israelites, too, were tempted, always tempted to return and revert back to incorporate them alongside their worship of the one true God. In the commandments, Exodus 20, we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. It was so clear. How much clearer could it have been? And then Moses came down the mountain only to find that the Israelites had got impatient with him um, and with instructions from Aaron all the people had melted down their jewellery and had built the golden calf to dance around and worship. I mean, they just got carried away with it. It seems so, why would they do that, we think? But God was a mystery at times. They didn't understand everything. They wanted something they could touch and they could feel. And now, right in front of me, God, that I can see and be excited by, Why would you make something 
and then worship it. Why would they do that? The, the prophets spoke out often against this. Habakkuk chapter 2 says, uh, Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So clear. But nothing is new under the sun. People are still the same. That commandment applies to us today too. And you'd say, well, I don't have idols, don't we? I would ask you to think this evening, has anything in your life become an idol? Remember, an idol is anything that we put before God. And there are no shortage of substitute idols, substitute gods in in our world today. And two things, two general things I would say about idols, just so that we might think that even as I'm speaking, and while I was preparing this too, I was asking myself the same question. What do I put before God? What is it? that I am spending too much time with or on. Two things, two general things. One, idols, I would say, are deceptive. Satan is very good at pulling the wool over our eyes. And we may not even recognize what is pushing God out of first place in our lives if we're Christians here today. Someone said, next one, please. My God is that which rivets my attention, centers my activity, preoccupies my mind, and motivates my action. And the thing that rivets our attention and preoccupies our minds might not be something really bad, obviously bad, maybe like pornography or or gambling or drinking too much or or whatever. Idols can be harmless things when in their right perspective. But when they start to push God out of his priority position, the position that he needs to have in our lives, and we've sung this evening, and we, we sing with our songs and our hymns, and we say we worship God and we surrender everything to him, and that is the position he has to have in our lives. But when other things start to take away our wholeheartedness towards God, then they become idols, I would suggest. Someone said, idolatry is Christ and something. Christ and. There cannot be Christ and. It has to be Christ And then the other things. Hear me this evening. I'm not saying that hobbies and sport and gardening and holidays and travel and 
These things aren't wrong in themselves, but they have to have they have to have their place. And anything, even hobbies, you know, hobbies we can have. I mean, we all have a tendency, don't we? I know. I mean, I, I quite. I mean, you know, I like painting and drawing and um, and other things, but also. I used to like knitting, but I know if I start knitting, I will be knitting until I get that thing done. And it's going to... Because I've got that kind of mentality, you know? I want to do things. I know myself. And if I, if I, if I take up um, a, a sport or something, I know that I will, I will... Because, you know, I'm quite a passionate person in that respect, and I like to do things well, and I'm de- determined. So I recognize that in myself and I have to be very careful with the things and I have to make sure that it's always I mean just uh, recently you know I moved actually it's a year ago since I I moved from St Leonard's Road to Meadow Close and very happy I am, am there I think I was telling you in May about Meadow Close being my new mission field and and uh I don't know if I was, I was telling you about the, 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 the work that I, the, the workers and I had, I, I had a really good relationship with them in the end and I think I told you that they, um, you know, when they first started they said, oh God, here and there, you know, oh, oh God, oh my God. And every time they said it I just quietly said praise his name and, and, um, and they got it in the end and uh, they, they determined of themselves to, um, that every time they said God or if they said Christ, um, that it would be 50p for God and um, a pound uh, for, for Christ. And, uh, you know, they said that themselves, which was really great. And I think I told you that I got two pounds in one uh, sentence when one of them saw a spider. Um, and that was towards the orphanage that we support. So, um, actually, uh, you know, that was, that was for a good cause. But I had a really good time with it, and, and God really answered some prayers. And, um, and, and it was great. It was great to be able to, to do that. But we can't have Christ and something else. We have got to make sure. That's why I was telling you about the extension got carried away. The extension, so I was having this extension done over the last four months. And um, I knew that that was going to be such a busy time in my life. I knew with workmen coming at half past seven every morning, upstairs, downstairs, doing everything, I knew that that could become, and me choosing doors and which way the toilet was going to face and what handles I was going to have on the doors and what kind of... It was all going to be all-consuming, so I determined. I thought, no. So I made sure that I always kept... Um, my focus on Christ. I really tried hard to do that because I knew, I know what I'm like. And I'm not, surely I'm not just the only one here this evening. You know, we all can ex- need to examine ourselves and say, what is it that takes uh, my thoughts, my preoccupation overly? I mean, God isn't just a hobby. You know, he's not just something we do on a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning or, you know, our word for today or every other day with Jesus or you know, every week with Jesus or something. It, it's not that. We are, if we are disciples, then we are whole. We are to be wholehearted disciples. He doesn't want hobby. Christianity isn't a hobby. It's all. It's everything. It's surrender. So what is it? Is it, is it you know, your work? Is it, for you, a hobby? Is it computers? iPhones? You know, I think I said there was that article, you know, is, is your iPhone killing your relationship with God? 
is your computer killing your relationship with God? You know, we have to check. We've got to make sure, haven't we? Even greed, apparently, in Ephesians 5, we read, can be um, idolatry. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Sorry, I wrote that bit small, didn't I? Um, Such a man is an idolater, it says. Immoral, impure, or greedy person. What is it? One modern form of idolatry, I feel, is self. Ourselves. Now, we are to love ourselves. And some people don't like themselves, and that's another problem in itself. But I sometimes think we are too precious about ourselves. We, we worship, as it were, at the altar of materialism, which feeds our need to kind of build our egos through the acquisition of more stuff. Moving last year, I knew about all the stuff that I had, all the clutter that I had to clear out, and all the things we get, the things. We like our things, don't we? We can water, um, worship at the altar of our, our own pride or our, our ego. Uh, ego. We can be obsessed with wanting to do better for ourselves, to make ourselves look better, to make ourselves feel better. King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And then we can worship at the altar of the fulfillment of self to the exclusion of other people, that we are the most important, that my life, my comfort, my relaxation, all these things are important, but not to the exclusion of how we serve other people. We make ourselves the God of our own lives sometimes, don't we? And I think that it's really important that we recognize that. Yes, we are to love ourselves. Yes, we are to take care of ourselves. Of course we are. But not to the exclusion of others and certainly not to the exclusion of loving God. For those of us who don't know Christ, idols may fill the place that God should have, our God, the one true God. But for those of us who are Christians, we do need to examine our hearts this evening. I know whenever I come, I usually challenge you, but I am challenging myself as well. We can deceive ourselves, but we can't deceive God. We can deceive one another. Nobody knows, actually, about your secret life or mine. But we can't deceive God. And then, secondly, finally, God's uh, idols are destructive. They are so destructive. Because they shift, as we've said, our attention and our energies. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. There's no room for anything else if we were to follow that commandment, is there? If we try and serve two masters, and I've done it, we just end up in an unhappy compromise 
And that's not good. That doesn't honour God. It doesn't make us feel right. And it certainly doesn't further the kingdom in the way that it should. Idols are destructive because they look attractive. And they look more powerful than they really are. They have a drawing power. And they will pull us away from God. I'm a jealous God, he said once. Godly jealousy desires the best for the object of love and, and, and can't tolerate anything else. That's why God is committed and was committed to them destroying the idols. And he was very harsh when you read uh, throughout the New Testament. They, weren't, they couldn't have them. They couldn't say they were worshipping the one true God. And then have other idols as well. They couldn't. And it's not because God is saying, he's not saying you can't do this and you can't do that um, because he enjoys being, uh, you know, he doesn't want us to have enjoyment. No, it's all about perspective. The commandment against idol worship is at the top of the list after worshipping God because idols are counterfeits. They're rip-offs of the worst possible kind, the, the kind that rob us of God and the fulfillment of our salvation. Isaiah 46 says, With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place and there it stands from that spot it cannot move even though someone cries out to it it cannot answer it cannot save them from their troubles why do we do it in the same way the idols we follow or worship are powerless, powerless to save, powerless to satisfy, powerless to give peace. And it's never enough. They're never enough. I just want to read a quotation from from the novelist David Wallace, who wasn't a Christian, I believe, not long before his suicide. And he, he was speaking these words in 2005 to a graduating class at a college in the States. And he seemed to me, reading this, well aware, even though... It doesn't seem that he knew the one true God. Well aware of the deceptive, destructive nature of idolatry. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things... If they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you'll need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, 
always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They're default settings. And he knew about the destructive and deceptive power of all these things. And sadly, of course, he didn't seem to know the one true God. I mean, I don't know, but I don't think he did. I don't know that if anyone told him, like the Apostle John uh, had said in his letter, um, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. I don't know if he'd, he'd read that, but before that, in that 1 John chapter 5, did this chap ever hear, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Did he? No. Had anyone ever told him? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Did he know that? Had he been told? Maybe he had, but he just wasn't listening. And also did he know, in verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the one true God and eternal life. Did he know that? Did anyone tell him? We are to commit our lives in every way to telling other people that message. And for that it requires passion, conviction, determination, time, energy, money, it does. It requires all of those things. If we're half-hearted about it, we're not going to we're not going to fulfil the great commission, are we? We have a job to do if we're Christians. And John was speaking to those who are Christians, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So, just a moment of silence, and ask yourself the question: What? Or who else do you worship? Just maybe close your eyes, allow God to speak to you. If there's anything you feel that's been taking up too much time, however harmless it might seem, if it's not God off the throne in your life, then we need to ask God for forgiveness. So just a moment's silence. The good thing is that it's never too late to start again while we're alive. Today's a new day. Tonight is a new evening. The message from the Word of God might be something new or something to remind you, remind me. And are we just going to hear it or are we going to do something about it? But here's a God who forgives to the ancient Israelites, he said this, Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. 
Heavenly Father, thank you that you, you know what you're doing. You know that we are to not have anything else apart from you and how easily we are distracted. If we totted up our time on everything else and ourselves and the time that we spend with you or serving you, and we can serve you without actually being with you, um, but that's another whole story. Father, we are so foolish because there is only that peace in our hearts when we're completely right with you. And so the things that we might have thought of this evening, you might have spoken to us about, we ask you to forgive us, Lord. Thank you that your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You forgave the Israelites over and over and over and over again. And whilst we must not think that we can do something because you'll forgive us, you are faithful and you do forgive us. And Lord, even from this moment, help us to walk with you in a closer and more surrendered way. Help us, Lord, we can't do it by ourselves. Amen.